your product is in market and you have a certain amount of traction, you can start by looking at the customers that love your stuff today and asking yourself, if your product did not exist, what would they do? And so that will give you an idea of what the competitive alternatives are to what you do. And that includes not just things that might be directly competitive to you, but also things like maybe they'd use a spreadsheet or maybe they'd just hire an intern to do it. Welcome to Social Post, a podcast brought to you by Meet Edgar. Each week, we bring you a guest to inspire your creativity, breathe new life into your marketing strategy, and get you motivated to take action in your business. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned entrepreneur, you'll walk away feeling like you took your social media marketing multivitamin. Enjoy the interview and remember, what's possible for them is possible for you. And we can't wait to see your success. This episode of Social Post is brought to you by me, Edgar. That's right, we're sponsoring our own podcast. We are the social media automation tool that saves you eight hours a week on your marketing strategy and gets you off the content creation treadmill. If your social media could use a makeover, come try our category-based evergreen schedule today. We're offering a free month to Social Post listeners when you use the code SOCIALPOST upon checkout. Now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Social Post, a podcast brought to you by me, Edgar. Today, we are joined by April Dunford, who is a globally recognized leader in product positioning. Now, April has a deep curiosity in what makes the difference between a winning product and a losing one, and we are going to dive deep into some details on that today. She's also the author of Obviously Awesome, which is just a pretty fantastic name for a book. So April, welcome to the show. <laughs> and to start out, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're so passionate about positioning. Um, yeah, so I'm April Dunford. I spent the first 25 years of my career as a repeat vice president of marketing at a series of startups. And how I got into positioning was, you know, the first company that I worked at, we had, a, I was assigned to a product that was kind of a dog, like it wasn't selling. Um, in fact, we were thinking about killing it. Um, and we ended up repositioning it into a new market and it took off and we got acquired and that product went on to be super successful. And so after that, I was kind of intrigued with this idea that um, positioning could be this kind of superpower that could take something that maybe wasn't so great, but you could put it in another context and have it be really excellent. And so ever since then, I've been kind of fascinated with that. Now I'm a consultant and this is just what I do. So I only do positioning work and I only work with tech companies. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. So with these tech companies that you're working with, what are some of the common mistakes you see people make when it comes to positioning a product in a crowded market? Well, yeah, mistake number one is they don't think about positioning at all. Uh, <laughs> so the most common mistake is, you know, the founder wakes up one day and they say, you know what, I'm, the world needs a better database or the world needs a better email system or the world needs better CRM and they build it and then they go out in the market and they get it in front of customers and customers love parts about it and they don't like other parts about it and so they change it but meanwhile the market itself is changing and we don't just have email anymore we also have chat and we also have team collaboration and all of a sudden fast forward a couple of years and maybe their email actually looks more like chat 
but they don't see it that way because it's, it's email. What else could it be? That's what I built is email. And so mistake number one is folks kind of default into this, you know, well, I don't know what positioning is. I don't know if I have any choices. It just is what it is. But in reality, most products can be positioned in a multitude of different markets. Um, and you can, you should actually be deliberately choosing the market that creates the best context for what it is that you're trying to sell. Ah, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. That deliberately actually going out there and seeing those differences. Like when Slack came onto the scene, email right. wasn't necessarily going to be as big of a communication mode for a lot of businesses. So that example makes so much sense for me. I love that you shared that. So if right. you're working with a brand or if someone out there feels like they're trying to get a positioning guide for their brand, what would you say are some fundamentals that they should start trying if they feel like they're just throwing spaghetti against the wall and they're not getting anywhere with it, where should they actually start to get this system set up? Yeah, I think spaghetti is not the place to start. <laughs> so, so maybe not that. But it, here's the thing. So if your product is in market and you have a certain amount of traction, you can start by looking at the customers that love your stuff today and asking yourself, if your product did not exist, what would they do? And so that will give you an idea of what the competitive alternatives are to what you do. And that includes not just things that might be directly competitive to you, but also things like maybe they'd use a spreadsheet or maybe they just hire an intern to do it. So first you got to understand what you really compete with. And then you got to ask yourself, okay, if this is the competition, like this is what they'd be doing if I didn't exist, then what have I got that they don't have? So what are the features and functions that I've got that the alternatives don't have? And then you can map those features to value, which is <laughs> why does a customer care about those features? So what value can you uniquely deliver to customers that the alternatives can't? Uh, and then, th th then importantly, once you understand that, you can say, okay, well, what are the characteristics of a target company that makes them really care a lot about the value that you can uniquely deliver. These are your best fit people. And this is where you should be focusing your marketing and sales efforts um, and your positioning should really speak to them. And then lastly, you say, okay, well, what's the best market category for me to position myself in? Like in my email or chat, the question to ask is, well, okay, here's my value. These are the people I'm trying to communicate that value to. What's the best context to wrap around my product such that this value is obvious to these folks? So that's how you do it, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, that sounds so simple for any brand or any company to actually take into action. That's amazing. So yeah, it took me like 10 years to be able to <laughs> say that. Oh, man, we're so lucky to have you today to mentor that on was that. Cool now, man. But uh, yeah, like when I started, there was no methodology for doing positioning. Like we understood what positioning was. Like positioning is a super old concept. It's been around since the 80s. But, but weirdly when I started doing it inside companies, I'm looking for the reference book on how do we actually get this done? And there wasn't one, which drove me crazy. And so I went around talking to all the smart marketers I know, and I'm like, hey, so, you know, I'm trying to reposition this product. How do you do that? And the smart marketers would all say, well, you know, we try some of this and we tried some of that and we'll do whatever. And there were commonalities, but there wasn't kind of an accepted methodology. And that drove me a little bit crazy for something for so foundational to what we do. 
I figured this should be a previously solved problem, but it was not. And so, um, so I spent 10 years <laughs> trying, to, trying to figure it out in a, like, could I do it in a step-by-step -step way? Um, and the result of that is essentially what I tried to capture in my book. But um, the result of that is, you know, if you, I don't know how to do it for everybody, but if you're a tech company and you're B2B and you want to do positioning, I feel very confident that I know how to do that. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating about that is I feel like the best products, the services or books out there are always identified out of a problem the actual person sees. Like you saw this problem yeah. that no one had, you went and validated it and made something out of it. So if yeah. listeners out there are really thinking about a problem they have, I would definitely say go after it like uh, April did. Now kind yeah. of transitioning to your book, how have you had, uh, how have you felt that having a book out there has raised the awareness for your consulting brand, for your personal brand? And talk to me a little bit about how that works into your whole business. Yeah. So, you know, I have this idea to write the book for like, kind of like two reasons. So one was I had this methodology and this was a book that I wished it existed when I was starting out. So I thought, you know what, I, I, now that I know how to do this thing, I should write it down in a book. And then it, when I'm having all these little coffee meetings with founders that can't afford to hire me or any consultant to help figure this stuff out, I can say, you know what? Slide that sucker across the table and say, read this. I got you, you know, do this. The second thing was that um, in my consulting business, because what I'm doing is helping companies with positioning, um, and generally, I'm selling to technical founders that, you know, they're not marketing people, they don't have a big background in marketing. Um, and it generally would take me two calls to kind of explain, here's what positioning is, here's why it's important, and here's how we're going to fix it. And I thought it would be helpful to have a kind of reference document that said, this is it, like, read this, if you buy this, then you might want to work with me. Um, and, you know, that started out as a long blog post and then it got longer and longer and eventually it was like, you know what, this is a book. Um, and so I, so I decided to write the book. Um, so at the beginning, I didn't really think of it as, you know, an exercise in personal brand building or necessarily even lead generation for my consulting business. It, I thought it would be useful in my consulting business, but more to accelerate a deal rather than to actually source a new deal, if you know what I mean. Um, but then, then I put the book out, and the book's been the book's been way more popular than I imagined it would be um, for such a niche little topic. Um, I've, I've managed to sell a whole lot of books. I don't even really know how that happened, um, and as a result, it's been really good for. Um, both, you know, getting my name out there that, you know, I, I used to do business mainly through referrals and, you know, one CEO would work with me and then that person would tell their friends and then their friends would come and, and work with me. Um, now I get an awful lot of inbound requests, like way more than I could possibly handle from companies all over the world that, you know, are completely outside of my network, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So in the process of actually writing this book, do you have any tips for aspiring authors out there or any lessons that you learn? Because that is such a huge undertaking. Yeah. So the, the, the writing of the book itself was the easy part. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because I already had a methodology, I already know what I was doing. Um, but the process of actually producing a book was more work than I thought it would be. 
Um, and uh, the, the other thing is that the book business is weird and, and it's like all businesses are weird until you understand them. And, and so, I, you know, at the beginning, I thought, well, I'll just go through a regular publisher and I'll do it that way. Um, but then the more I found out about publishing, the more I, I simply could not understand the value that a publisher was going to bring to the process. And, um, and yet I was being asked to give up a lot to the publisher in terms of control over the content, control over the look and feel of the book, um, a lot in royalties. Um, and, and I wasn't sure I wanted to give up that control to folks that seemed to understand absolutely nothing about my customers. Like, you know, I know way more about how a startup founder thinks about business than anybody I talked to in publishing. So in the end, I decided to self-publish it and I did that with help. So I hired a company that um, uh, did the interior design and the editing and the cover art and all that good stuff for me uh, because I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And so I just paid for that up front in exchange for me being able to keep all my royalties and have complete control over the process. So I don't regret that at all but it took me a while to figure all that stuff out because i had never written a book before and the book business itself is changing so you'd go and ask people and they you know they've written a book five years ago when self-publishing was really different and they'd say oh you have to go with the publisher and then you go to the publisher and go well i don't know like i don't think the publisher is actually doing anything for me and i could just pay someone to do all this stuff and and get a better book so I don't know. So I got a lot of weird advice from um, because I think this industry is changing a lot. So I had to learn a lot as I was going along. So if I ever decide to do another book, it's going to be a lot easier because I kind of know what I'm doing this time around. Very cool. Yeah, that's a really helpful process to hear about. Thanks for sharing. So one of the things that I was reading on your website, which is beautifully designed, by the way, was that delivering a clear and consistent story is one of the strongest ways to win more business. How exactly do you feel like you use that strategy in your own marketing or in your consulting with other businesses and yeah. without like having people feel so nervous about like repeating themselves so much? Because that's a lot of the stuff I hear is oh, yeah. I don't want to repeat myself, but I feel like if you're going to be a consistent, sometimes you do have to do that. So where is that perfect balance and how do you actually do that? Right. So, you know, as a former vice president of marketing, I already knew this lesson. So the lesson is this, you and your team will be thoroughly sick of your own marketing well before the market even registers mm. that it's there. So right at the moment where you're starting to think, oh man, I can't say this thing one more time. We've said this a thousand times, you know, the horse is dead. We've beaten it to death. We, we can't go anymore. That is the exact moment when you need to keep pushing. And, and so you feel like, oh my gosh, cause you know, you're exposed to your marketing every darn day, but your customers are not. And so that consistency is super important. If you actually want to build a brand and if you actually want to be known for something, you got to pick a position and you got to stick it and you got to stick it for long enough that people actually register with it. So, um, now, me as a consultant, I think I'm a good example of that in that, you know, I, I'm basically the positioning lady. <laughs> you don't hear me talking about anything else. I've been saying the same stuff for five years now. Um, it, you know, occasionally people will say, you know, like I'll be doing a speaking engagement and someone will say, 
I think I've heard you tell that story before. And I'm like, my dudes, I've told that story 1000 times. <laughs> like, if you think it's like annoying that you've heard it twice, imagine me, I've told that story 1000 times. But the, but the reality is like, you know, in that five years of telling that same story over and over and over again, the number of people that have heard it is so small, so small. And so we worry like, oh, you know, gosh, I don't want to do the same talk twice or, oh my gosh, I don't want to tell the same story twice, whatever. And, and this is, you should be worried about the opposite. You should be worried that every time I go out, I'm telling a different story. So nobody can remember what I'm all about. And so I think that consistency is really, really important. You got to decide what you stand for, uh, decide what you want to be known for, and then just stick it and you stick it until it doesn't work anymore. Not till you're sick of it, until it stops working. <laughs> if it's still working, then why would you change? Like just keep going until it doesn't work to get you where you need to go. Ah, oh, such good advice. And I almost feel like that's permission for people out there listening to just try this strategy of repeating and consistently showing up with those. Stick it and stick it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I was looking at your Twitter account as well, and you have almost 40,000 followers on Twitter here at me, Edgar, being a social media automation tool. We love hearing about people's strategies there. How do you use Twitter? Why do you love it for your business? Um, yeah. talk me through that strategy a little. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, you guys are probably way better at social than me. That's for sure. Um, so I, um, so early on, I decided that, um, you know, after having worked in companies for 25 years, when I switched to consulting, I decided that I was not building an agency. I was not building a company. I want to be solo. So I want to stay by myself. It's just going to be me. And so with that, you've got to make a bunch of decisions. Like I'm not going to do all the social media channels. Like I'm, so I'm not going to be the queen of Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and whatever. I'm going to pick one or two. I'm going to actually, my decision was I'm going to have a major and a minor. And so my major is Twitter and my minor is LinkedIn. And so I major on Twitter and I, that's the social channel that I spend the most time on, although I hardly, I, I don't tweet nearly enough, I should get on that. Um, but that's where I have the most engaged following. I have a fairly decent, it's not just that it's like 40,000 followers. I don't know if that's big or not. I don't think it's that big, but, um, but I have a very engaged 40,000 followers. Like I know people that have hundreds of thousands of followers that don't get the number of likes and retweets that I get on a post. So I think engagement is more important than the number of followers. And I have a very engaged group on Twitter, which has been gradually built, built up over the last 10, 15 years. Um, so I started there because I already had a head start there and that's that was where my people were. Um, and then I kind of minor on LinkedIn and occasionally if I'm thinking, you know, if I have a new piece of content or something I'm doing, I'll get out there on LinkedIn a bit. But I kind of deliberately deselected the other ones because I figured I don't have the time and the energy and I'm going to focus my energy on one or two. Um, and then what I really like about Twitter is... Um, I, I kind of like the reach and I kind of like how real time and personal it feels. So, um, you know, and I like interacting with people on Twitter and I get as much out of Twitter as I get from Twitter. So, you know, like, for example, one of my New Year's resolutions is I want to be a better facilitator. So I do a lot of group facilitation uh, and I think I'm okay at it, but I'm not an expert and I've taken very little formal training in facilitation. So anyways, I put a, a tweet out yesterday or today that was like, 
you know, New Year's resolution, I want to get better at facilitation. What do y'all think? You know, give me your books and your courses and your whatever. Tell me what I should do. And oh my gosh, the smart responses I got. So I've now got a 15 book long book list and a bunch of good trainers and a bunch of people offering to help me. And it's amazing that way. So I like Twitter a lot for that stuff. I also like that you can have a bit of a debate about things um, without it getting too out of control as long as you set the tone of it. So um, I never really got into Facebook for that reason that I felt like, you know, people got really polarized really quickly on Facebook. Uh, and so I never, I never really had a feel for Facebook and LinkedIn always felt um, it, a bit less interactive and a bit less real time and a little bit more professional. Whereas Twitter, you can have a bit more of a free wheel and discussion of back and forth about something. And so I kind of like having a debate about things once in a while. Like, the, you know, last year I put a tweet out and I said, I didn't believe that product market fit was a thing. And like product market fit is a kind of foundational startup con concept. And I, I literally don't believe it's a thing. And so I just tweeted that. I don't think product market fit's a thing. Well, man, people were <laughs> trying to school me on, yes, it was. And it was fun having a debate about it without getting all personal. You know, nobody's being mean. Everybody's, my, my people on Twitter are very nice. But anyways, that's what I like about Twitter. No, I love how social it is and you just having these conversations yeah. and debate. And the reason social media has the word social in it is because it that's should be right. that interaction. So it's no wonder you found success there using it that way. Um, well, this has been really fascinating. Are there any other nuggets of wisdom or any questions you think I really should have asked you today that can help small business owners out there make sure their product is getting out in front of the right people? Yeah, I think the big thing to think about is you know, you have to really understand, like, again, this idea of competitive alternatives is a hard one for, for small businesses to think about. Like, you know, are you, are you really competing with other services that look like you or products that look like yours? Or are you competing with the intern or the spreadsheet or, you know, manual labor? And your positioning will really shift with your understanding of what it is that you really have to beat. And the more you can deeply understand that, the better job you're going to do is standing out from the crowd and being able to convince your right kind of buyers that, hey, you should do, you should use my stuff instead of that, because, this is, you know, this is going to be way better. Ah, beautiful words to end on. April, thank you so much for this today. Tell people where they can find you online um, and where they can buy your amazing book. Yeah, well, the book is on Amazon or anywhere else you buy books and there's an audiobook version and there's an ebook version and you look around, you'll find it anywhere you buy a book. Um, uh, on Twitter, I'm at April Dunford if you want to come and tell me that product market fit is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and my website is aprildunford.com. Amazing. Thank you so much today, guys. If you have any feedback about the episode, let us know. Go ahead and leave a review of the show and subscribe for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks, April. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in and be sure to keep the conversation going with us on social. We're at Meet Edgar on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So let us know your biggest takeaway from today's episode and don't forget to tag us. Visit www.meetedgar.com and start a free trial to up-level your social media marketing strategy today. Happy posting.